0: Together and we just heard the Ten Commandments uh, in their fullness this morning. So we're just gonna I'm gonna go reading from this passage right away into uh, the introduction and the the preaching. All right. So Exodus uh, chapter 19. So if you see the cell number and during the sermon, if you think, oh, there's a thought that I have, I want to ask a question for our Q and A time afterwards. That's fine. Now I have to. I'm sorry. One other thing is, for some reason, I'm I'm not getting cell coverage here. Uh, I have for a number of weeks. Last week I didn't have it. So a number of you texted me some questions, and I got home, and I look at it and go, oh, well, there's a the question. So um, if it's not working, if you try to text me on my cell number, and if you get nothing, then, uh, or if I don't see it, and I, then I'll let you know, and then you can just ask it verbally, and hopefully I'll have some kind of response on the fly with that, all right? So Exodus chapter 19, let's begin reading verse 16. Here's where we find something that we normally don't look at in connection with Ten Commandments, and that's the environment in which the commandments were given which is kids for some reason, or or not for some reason, but what is rather clear to us is that uh, the environment here in which the commandments were given is somewhat frightening. Take a look at verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people um, out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord, to look, and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set uh, limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and then he goes on to cite the commandments. You have shown and have no other gods before me and so on. So what I want to do is I want to just draw you to, to the opening two verses because this is what we call the, the preamble or the prelude or maybe a, a better word is the introduction to the Ten Commandments. And the reason why I, w- I want to focus on that with you is because, because oftentimes what we do is we glide over it and what we actually do is we absorb it right into the first commandment. So, sometimes if you'd ever ask somebody, you know, what is the first commandment? They might, they might start with the preamble, the introduction, where they remember, oh, the God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. And in fact, when you take a look at various catechisms that address the, the Ten Commandments, particularly the, one of the confessional standards that we have, the Heidelberg Catechism, there are different denominations that use the Heidelberg Catechism in its teaching. And when you look online, there are some of them, some of these denominations that have the Heidelberg Catechism as a confessional standard, that when it lists the Ten Commandments, it connects the introduction to the First Commandment. Now, if you look at the Book of Praise, it doesn't do that. There's a, there's a, it, it differentiates, which is a good thing. Because the introduction is different from the first commandment. So because we oftentimes glide over it and absorb it into the first commandment, I want to set it apart, and I want us to, to really consider it seriously because looking at the, at the introduction to the Ten Commandments apart from the first commandment is important because it is really the introduction that helps us to understand and properly interpret and apply the commandments to our Lives. So I want to to draw your attention, and um, there you have it. Uh, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, I want you to take a close look at um, just verse 2. I want to take a little time here in the beginning just to, to, to quickly unpack this. So, when you take a look at it, I want you to notice that in the commandments, God is telling us this is the way I want you to live in a way that will please me, but create a life of flourishing for you, and I'll tell you why it's a way of flourishing for us, right? Because oftentimes when we think of the commandments, we think of don't do this, don't do that. But actually the commandments are for our health and for our good and for our our joy. And I'll I'll explain that in just a moment. But anyway, even before God lays out, this is my will for your life, he identifies himself (coughs) as the God who's actually giving these commands. So how does he identify himself? He says, now notice closely, take a close look at just the very wording here. He says, I am the Lord your God. Now what we have here is we have two designations for God, don't we? We have God, which is Elohim in the Hebrew, which is just the generic name for God, the general name for God, um, not so very descriptive, but then we get more specific and he says, I'm not just your God to his people, but he says, I am the Lord your God, which is not Elohim in the Hebrew, but it is, it is Yahweh or the old uh, English term for his, or, or designation for is Jehovah. Right, Jehovah is Yahweh, and Yahweh is more specific in that God, says he's just not saying, I am your God, but I am a God who, Yahweh, is living in covenant with you. That is, I am living in a formal bond of friendship and love. Many commentators speak about this covenant as a marriage, so when you think of covenant, think of marriage. So God is saying to his people, I am not just God who is sovereign in the heavens, to whom many people will recognize that, yes, there is a God, and I believe in a God, although, as I said this morning, if you ask them to describe this God, they have a real problem with that. They go, I don't know, but they think of power and they think of sovereignty. God says, yes, that's who I am. I am powerful, I'm sovereign, but I'm also intimate with you as my people. I have this formal bond of love and friendship with you in Jesus Christ, and God, the very essence of covenant is this. I am God, your God, and you are what? You're my people. Covenant speaks of marriage. Covenant speaks of a formal bond, yes, but also an intimate relationship. And it's this God who's coming to his people and he's saying, I am your God, you are my people. I'm not a God of of the nations. I am your God. I'm I'm not married to them. I'm married to you. And as this God, I want to let you know that I, and this is going to be the focus this afternoon, he says, as your married partner, I love you. I've put the ring on your finger. And I'm a God who's not a life giving God, but I am a freedom giving God. For I have loved you so much that I have delivered you and given you freedom from, he says, two things the land of Egypt and the house of slavery. That's the kind of God. So, so what we see already in this preamble is of this introduction is not only who God is, but who this God is for us, and who, what is he for us. He is our life-giving, and he is our freedom-giving God. That's a positive thing, and that's a beautiful thing. And I think sometimes, as his people, you know, when we launch into the Ten Commandments, we think of do this and don't do that and that kind of thing, and we lose sight of the fact that these commandments come in the context of freedom and life. Now again, we oftentimes don't think about that because when, 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 we, when we read the Ten Commandments or when we hear them on a Sunday morning, as we oftentimes do, then it's, it's like oftentimes we, we come away with, with not so much an association with freedom, but with prohibition, with restraint, right? Because oftentimes what do we find in the Ten Commandments? You know, don't do this, don't do that. So for instance, you think of the second table of the law relating to a relationship to a neighbor, right? Um, You know, thou shalt not, what, steal. Um, Thou shalt, that's Eighth Commandment, let's go back. Sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder. Seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Eighth commandment, thou shalt not steal. Ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. Or even go to the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It's like like God saying, nope, 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 nope. Restraint, prohibition. Doesn't sound like freedom, does it? And oftentimes we, we associate the Ten Commandments, not so much, I think, always with the love of God because there's nothing in the Ten Commandments that we go, oh, that's really warm and fuzzy, right? So oftentimes we don't associate the commandments with, with, with love but with harshness. And why do I say that? Because you take a look at the environment, again, in which the commandments were given. And God says to Moses, Set bounds around the mountain, right? So God comes, God comes in thunder and lightning and smoke and the blast of a trumpet, which you ever do this? You read that and you kind of go, what would it have been like to be there to witness this? Thunder, lightning, smoke, and the blast of a trumpet. What did even that trumpet sound like? The people must have been scared out of their wits, you would think. And God says to Moses, set bounds around the mountain and do not let my people approach me. Because if they approach me, they shall surely what? Die. So so when we look at the environment, we don't think of love. We think of harshness. We think of God coming as a holy terror to his people. Because God is holy. And we don't trifle with God. But there's this other side of God as well that we can't forget about. God is not only a holy terror. But God is this, in this passage and in this introduction, he's a a loving liberator who says to his people, I love you so much that that I I have freed you from the land of Egypt, from the house of slavery. I'm freeing you from over 400 years of slavery. Or, according to the book of Galatians, 430 years to be exact. Did God have to do that? No. But he did because he loved his people. So when you think of the Ten Commandments, don't first and foremost think a harsh dictator, where God says, you know what, my people, you need to shut up, and you need to listen, and you need to do what I call you to do. He doesn't come as a harsh dictator, but he comes as a loving liberator, and he says, as your loving liberator, as your covenant God, I have... I am freeing you from one house, and I'm bringing you into another house. I'm freeing you from the house, from the land of Egypt, and from the house of abuse. And I'm going to put you into another house, the house of my love, and order, and boundaries, which are good for you. The boundaries of God are good for us. Just as when you raise kids, right? Could you imagine, as, as parents, if you never set boundaries for your kids, you said, you yeah, know, whatever, wake up in the morning, do what you want to do. I mean, it would be chaos. And it wouldn't be good for the kids. Would those kids be happy without the boundaries? No, we know that. They wouldn't. Kids, you oftentimes think, of, you know, the rules of your parents, and it's like, you know, that's kind of a bummer because you're always thinking, thou shalt not do this, and you should be doing that. Don't do this, do that, you know. But if there are no boundaries in your lives, you know, you, you notice, like, undisciplined kids, they're never really happy kids, right? Boundaries are for discipline. Discipline's good when they're applied in the right way. God always applies his boundaries in the right way. So, not a hush, uh, harsh dictator, but a loving liberator who takes us out of one house, the house of slavery, and he puts us in the context of freedom and love and order and boundaries. See, that's a positive side of looking at the, of the commandments. See, It's like, if I, if I can describe, when, when God moves us from one house to another... Um, to give us a little bit of a breather here. Um, I don't know if you've, you've you, you read this um, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, but there was, um, there was, a, there was a young woman uh, named Katie Davis who went to Uganda in Africa in order to be a teacher there. And she went there to teach, and she ended up, uh, I think she was like 25 or something like that, she ended up adopting 13 kids. Um, kids kids whose, whose parents had died either because of AIDS or because of war in Africa. And there was, a, as the story goes, I'll keep it short, but she, she, she found these kids in an abandoned house one day. She went to this house, and there were 13 kids, and they were ranging in ages from about seven to two years old. Can you just kind of picture this in your mind? And she goes into this house, and she, she sees suffering in these kids because um, many of them had scabies, which is kind of a, a skin rash due to mites, and ringworm, and malaria, and these kinds of things. And her heart went out to these kids, and she knew that they didn't have any parents. And so she adopted them, not formally, but took hold of them, brought her into a different house. And there she fed them, and she watered them, and she gave them medicine and put lotions on their wounds and, and, and took care of them and basically nursed them back to health. And there was a point in the, at the end of one day where there was just a little girl, and she looked over these other kids who were, who were not blood-related to her, but who were like her, who were orphans. And she said, Mommy... She said, I, I I love these children. And the and the mommy said, the little girl, I says, You know what? I love them too. I love them too. And and this it gives you a sense a little bit where where God, God takes us out of this this, this this one bad situation, this one house, where the Israelites, that's what he did with the Israelites, where they must have felt like they were orphans. Taking them out of slavery and abuse and putting them in the context in another home of, of freedom and life. And, 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 and God says, okay, so what I'm doing, I'm taking you out of this slavery, and I'm putting you in the context of life and love and, 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 and boundaries, boundaries that are good for you. And the Lord says, okay, so I brought you out of this house, and now i put you in the context of freedom. Now, the Lord says, if you want to remain, this is an important point, if you want to remain free, you need to obey the house rules that I set for you. To put it another way, if you want to remain free, you have to respect my boundaries. Now, I want us to think about that. Because I said earlier, it's it's very easy to think of the Ten Commandments as simply merely restrictive, don't do this, don't do that, and I've cited those commandments for you. But is that really true? Aren't the commandments, if we look at them properly, aren't the commandments also liberating? Think about what your life would be like without the laws of God, without the commandments of God. Now, the Ten Commandments, you know, right, are not just the only commandments in the Bible. We find all kinds of commandments, but the the Ten Commandments kind of set themselves apart from the other commandments is that they give a summary of the ethic by which God wants us to live our lives, so the summary of the of the, the fundamental boundaries, in which God wants us to function, that that f- the, the, the the form in which we are to live, okay, and it's it's very easy for people to think. Well, you know what, um, especially for Christians, sometimes it's difficult to understand. But especially to, to get kind of giving an insight when you work with people who are outside the Christian faith, the the. The, the one thing that, that people have a most difficult time giving up is themselves and the way that they want to live their lives. That's called autonomy, coming from uh, a, a word that embraces two Greek words, auto, which means self, and nomi, from the word nomos, Greek, which means law. So, so people become a law to themselves and they, they want to live according to their rules, according to their standards, according to the way that they want to live because in doing that, they feel that they are most free. And, and the, the thing that becomes difficult is when you work with someone like that, you have to, and I've done this many times where, where I say to them, you think you're free, but when you, when you live apart from God and the parameters that God has set, you're actually not free. In reality, you become the most enslaved person in the world. For instance, now applying it to us. Try, try just, if, I'm not asking you to do this, but imagine this, just to, to shove God to the periphery of your life. Just put him way over here. And just, just start living a life the way you want to live it. So whatever, whatever, whatever you want to do, you just go ahead and do it. So attach your heart to the things by which your heart feels that it most wants to be attached and try doing that and to find, the more you find yourselves being attached to that one thing, the more enslaved you become. And you know when you're enslaved? Is that when that one thing to which you attach yourselves. You know, whether, whether, whether it be uh, matters relating to, to, to the sex or sometimes what I've mentioned here is or, or pornography or whether it be food or whether it be drink or whatever, you, you, you know that your heart is really, really attached when suddenly that thing from your life is yanked, and then all of a sudden what happens? You become devastated. That's when you know you got an idol, and that's when you know you have absorbed yourself and your heart to a thing that in the end has actually not liberated you, which you thought you would receive pleasure and liberation from that thing, notice, made you enslaved, or think about, think about committing yourself to lying on a regular basis just to get your way. Do you know how really, in the end, how entrapping that can be? Or try giving your body, whether you're married or whether you're single, try just giving your body to whoever. Just be whatever. Be totally sexually promiscuous. Because you know what? You're, as we're told today in the media, right in the secular culture, your body, especially as women, your body is yours. You do with it what you want. Think you're going to be free? That can be the most entrapping, devastating, emotionally, and psychologically thing in the world, possibly even disease-inducing. So here's the thing. Freedom, see, see God says to his people, you're a free people, but uh, you're free to live within these boundaries. But try living just completely as a free people without the boundaries. Not only is that enslaving, ultimately it brings death. You know what you become like? Imagine you have an aquarium here, and you, you kids, you take, you take a net and you scoop out that one fish, and maybe it's a big aquarium and the fish is that big. Let's say a big goldfish. And you take that fish out of the aquarium, and you put the fish on the ground. What, the, what is the fish going to do? The fish is going to flip and flop all around, right? Now, let me ask you this. Is that fish free? Yeah. <laughs> fish is free. But is it living? No, it's in the process of dying. So, like a fish, God has put us in the aquarium of his boundaries, and that's where we flourish, like a fish in water. But you take us outside the boundaries of God, we flip and flop, and in time we die. So, freedom without boundaries is enslavement and ultimately death. But here's here's another thing to think about. The opposite is also true. Boundaries without freedom also brings enslavement and ultimately death. Think about this. you had the Israelites in the land of Egypt. There for about 430 years, as I said, to be exact. Um, Did they have boundaries? Yes. Did they have parameters? Yes. Did the Egyptians say to them, you may do this, but you may not do that? Yes, because the Egyptians were in control of the Israelites. The Israelites didn't have freedom. right? So did they have boundaries? Yes, but they had freedom? No. Or you think of the Pharisees during the time of Jesus. You know, the Pharisees taught, rightly so, they taught the law of God. Obey these laws. But you know what the Pharisees also did? They had what was called the oral traditions of the elders, which were oral interpretations of the written law. There are what I think the commentators say, there's about 613 of them. Over 600 traditions. And so what you had, basically, is you had the laws of God, but in addition to that, the Pharisees said, according to the traditions of the elders, you also, in order to be faithful to that law, you have to do this and this and this and this, and this, and this, and Jesus talks about that as a yoke, as a, as, a, as a burden on the shoulders of these people. So again, you had boundaries, you had parameters, but was there freedom? No. You think also of this in connection uh, today with the cults. How about Mormonism? You ever talk with Mormons? Mormons are very rule-based. I remember living in Phoenix, and you know, Phoenix is a very—it's a very secular place. But there's a lot of Mormons living in Phoenix, especially in, if you've been to Phoenix, in the area of where we lived in Gilbert, uh, Arizona, a suburb of Phoenix, as well as Mesa, and they even have a big temple there. And I, I remember driving down the road, and there was this big sign, no doubt put out by some church or a group of Christians, that read. Um, Tired, the big words there, tired of trying to be perfect, question mark, hopeformormons.org, right? And if you talk with Mormons, what you really realize is that they are also bound by all these rules. So, So do they have boundaries? Yes. But are they free? No sometimes we even have that with christians they live by the rules they cherish order and conformity which in itself is not a bad thing they're driven by performance but in the midst of this though they have all these boundaries and they have order and they have conformity at the same time sometimes they lack life and love and joy why is it because while they have the boundaries they're not truly free we easily kind of easily fall into that we looked a little bit at that this morning right when we, when we try to live as son, uh, slaves rather than sons and daughters of the king or sons and daughters of the father. So the question is this then, what does this all have to do with us? More specifically, what does this introduction to the Ten Commandments really have to do with us, we who live 3,500 years later? And I suppose there's a number of things um, that we could look at in regard to this. Um, as I noted, without understanding the, the introduction, you can't really look at the Ten Commandments, I think, in a rather positive way as something that comes from a, a life-giving and a freedom-giving God. But ultimately, what what that introduction does, when we talk about love and we, we talk about freedom, is... The main point always of the commandments is to drive us to Jesus, to show us Jesus. And this is why when we look at the Ten Commandments, if a minister is going to preach properly the Ten Commandments, he, he always needs to preach the commandments from a Christ-centered perspective. And the commandments designed are to point us to Jesus Christ, in whom we find our ultimate freedom in life, right? So listen to these words from Jesus, from the Gospel of John. Jesus says, If you are truly my disciples... Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. free. It will set you free. Okay. Now, free from what, though? Free from what? F- free from the commandments? No, we saw that the commandments are good. The boundaries are good. We need boundaries. That's how we can really flourish. So what does it mean to be free in Christ? Well, here's the thing. Just just as God chose Moses to lead his people out of the house of slavery and the land of bondage, namely Egypt, and put them in the context of freedom, just as God sent Moses to do that, so too our Heavenly Father sent Jesus into the world to be the one to deliver us from sin and put us in the context of freedom. In life. But get more specific. Free from what? How does Jesus free us? free us? Free us from what? Listen to this. Jesus frees us from the power and dominion of sin. Jesus frees us from the penalty of sin. Jesus frees us from guilt. The guilt of sin. Jesus frees us from the tyranny of the devil. Jesus frees us from the overpowering allurements of this world, and Jesus sets us free from the traditions of human beings, sometimes that can either negate the laws of God or go beyond the laws of God. Not in every case, but sometimes that happens. Jesus frees us from all of these things. Freedom, freedom, freedom. And yet, and here's the irony of it all, Jesus frees us And once he frees us from all of these things, he says, I don't free you to cut loose the rope that ties you to me so you can go live any way you want. No, Jesus says, I have freed you so that rather than living according to the traditions of men or the dictates of the world, I have freed you to live within the boundaries that I have set for you. As Jesus says, if you love me, then you will know my commandments. Well, you know life, what I've done for you now will set you free. And then Jesus goes on to say, if you love me, then you will keep my commandments and they will not be burdensome to you. So Jesus says to us, I free you from, from all these things that I just mentioned from the, from the podium here. And then he says the, the grand irony is that once you commit yourself to serving me and loving me, Then you're not free to do what you want, but you're free to flourish within the boundaries that I've set for you. And that, my friends, is a beautiful, beautiful thing that Jesus has done for us. So, as we go through this series on the commandments together, what we're going to do is we're always going to look in the commandments in the light of Jesus, and especially in the principles that Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, which which does not negate the commandments of God, but gets at the heart of the commandments and applies them more broadly to our lives. So hopefully as we go through the series on the commandments, we're going to say not only is this something practical, but actually something warms my heart and drives me to my Savior, time and time and time again. So what I want to do is I want to, I want to pray, and then um, after we're done with the prayer, then if there are any questions, I can entertain them at the time. So let's, uh, let's have a quick prayer together. Heavenly Father, Thank you, O oh Lord, for um, this time that we could have uh, together and really pray, O oh Father, that, that um, well, we just want to thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in Christ. And we want to thank you that not only are you our law-giving God, but you are a life-giving and freedom-giving God. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we may always live um, as a free people, And as a joyful people, knowing from what we have been delivered and to what we are called to be and do as your people, as a people who live virtuous lives in light of the commandments you've given us. So God, grant that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A little bit of a correction. We're going to sing a song first. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to sing... uh Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Just three stanzas of the song. If there are any questions, then we can address them at the time. Otherwise, we'll go right into the Lord's parting blessing.